Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, our Associate Pastor to Families, Dr. Michael Wright. I want to invite you to join me in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We are going to look at verses 16 and 17, two verses that I believe could, could be the central text of ministry. Uh, many believe that, and uh, I do. I, in fact, so important uh, these verses have become to me that I have meditated on them for many, many years and have uh, never grown tired of learning what the Lord might teach through these verses. Now, Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. He was passing the mantle of uh, ministry leadership onto this young pastor, a man who was young and perhaps timid. And it's no wonder that Paul said that God has given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Reminding this, this young man that, that uh, God is the one who brings strength and authority in ministry. And so the apostle said to Timothy that to aspire to the office of a pastor or a leader, an overseer, is a noble task. That's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It is noble because the aim of a good leader is love which comes from a pure heart, a, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And the aspiration to lead is indeed noble, therefore. But noble work is often challenging work. And statistical analysis uh, brings this out. In fact, uh, in looking at, at Barna's uh, st uh, statistical analysis on pastors, we find this, 24% of pastors today face doubt. Maybe that's a surprise to you, that one in four doubt whether they're doing the right thing each and every day or week of ministry. 43% of pastors face some sort of relational risk by being a pastor. And sometimes there's excessive stress on, on this, the relationship with spouse, with children, sometimes even friends or extended family, aging parents, or being far apart from family because they've answered a call to go wherever God has led them to go. And this has caused stress. Did you know that 50% of new pastors today quit the ministry within the first five years? And they do so permanently. I don't have it right here in front of me, but I also remember reading this week that the, age, the median age of pastors is getting older, which means that the old guys like myself are hanging on while the new guys are quitting. And 1,500 churches close their doors every month in the United States, which means pastors are losing their jobs. Now, I'm not saying this to, 
be self-serving or to make you feel sorry for pastors. Some of them deserve to leave. But most of the guys that I know, most of the men in ministry that I know want to do the, the Lord's will and want to glorify God with all of their heart, and they want to preach and deliver the Word of God to a people who are hungry for the Word of God. And we're grateful for those, and we need to pray for those those men. According to the Barner Group, because of these things that are going on, pastors are at a high risk of burnout. Now, if you don't know about burnout, it is real, and burnout permanently creates shifts in overall health, physical, mental, emotional, and of course that affects the spiritual. Burnout can be characterized by descending confidence, below average emotional and mental health, low energy levels, mental exhaustion, dissatisfaction with ministry, disappointment with the ministry, and which comes from a day-to-day workload, which sometimes doesn't always match the gifts, the talents, and skills of that called man. And by the way, I would say to our seminaries, and I have said to our seminary uh, presidents and professors and college uh, presidents before, that we need to do more to help our pastors prepare for the people skill end of ministry. Because while they might know how to parse a Greek phrase, sometimes where they fall short is just being able to get along with the difficulties that come with working with people. I've heard pastors say, if it weren't for people, the ministry would be great. Now, Timothy was probably not aware of the potential perils of leading a congregation of believers when Paul wrote this letter to him, and perhaps the days were simpler in his time. Only the difference is that living for Jesus in the place and age of the growing church might lead Timothy to be arrested or find himself in isolation or in persecution or even to the point of facing death, for he and his family. He may not face burnout because death might come long before that as it did with the Apostle Paul who wrote to this young man who was in prison himself. Serving as a pastor in the first century was a life and death venture. Serving as a pastor in the 21st century may have different challenges But the perils are real, and the man who teaches God's Word today does so in a shifting culture. Would you like to know a little bit about that shifting culture? I'm glad you asked. 14%. Only 14% of American adults read the Bible every day. Of those 14%, 11% are men, 14% are women, and nine, only 9% of the 14% are millennials, which means the 20 and 30 years old are practically not reading Scripture at all. 24% of American adults say that the Bible is the actual Word of God. Only 24%. 31% of those in that 24% are the elders of the church, are 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 mature believers in Christ. 16% are millennials. And by the way, that 
percentage is shrinking every single day, the belief about the Bible. 16% of American adults are engaged regularly with the Bible. However, 45% are neutral or even skeptical about the truth of the Word of God. And again, perhaps that is a call to our our colleges, our Christian colleges and seminaries and families, I might add, to teach our children as they grow that the Bible is utterly trustworthy. And the Bible goes on to say that Timothy, the apostle Paul rather, goes on to say that Timothy is a good servant if he teaches and trains people when he delivers the word of God You see, pastors today have the same exhorted word that they are good servants if they put these things, that is, the doctrines and the disciplines of the Word of God before the brothers. Paul writes in 2 Timothy to strengthen and encourage. He writes to Timothy to strengthen and encourage his beleaguered friend. So 2 Timothy 3.16, he says, to this young pastor, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Those who are in my Bible study class, which usually meets at 11 o'clock in room 245, if you don't have a place to study the Word uh, for Bible study, there's a great place to go. All right, there it is. But I have a thesis that I say to the class often that simply says, the Word of God equips the man of God for the work of God. What is so significant about this text is that it is God's will for every man and woman to serve the Lord God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to serve and love God and love the neighbor as he would, as she would himself or herself. That is the reason for being on the planet. And there is no, there is no second plan. There is no plan B. Plan A is the plan, and the plan A is to love God and to love people. And the Word of God is what equips the man of God or the woman of God to do the good work of God. And so since we know that the percentage is so small of the people who actually read the Word of God every single day, what do you think the predictable consequences are of such uh, behavior? And practice. It's a weakened church. It's a church, it's a, it's, a, it's a believer who is not well prepared. So let's look at the Word of God, the man of God, and the work of God, and we'll do this quickly. First of all, the Word of God. Paul says, all Scripture. What is he talking about? Oh, I wish I had, I wish I had weeks and weeks with you, but I don't. Pastor Keith will return and he'll, he'll preach the word of God. But the word of God, all of it, is one book. It's two testaments. It's 66 books. It's 39 old. It's 27 new. It is full of wonder. In fact, the more I study God's word, the more I realize it's too wondrous for me. It's too marvelous for me to comprehend 
and I have to beg the Holy Spirit, please teach me what I am reading. It is wonderful. And Paul says to this young Timothy, it's all of the scripture, all of it is God breathed, it is inspired. That word inspired means to literally be God produced. You go back to the Old Testament, to the very first uh, book, and you see that God spoke and the heavens and the earth were created. God spoke and mankind was created in the image of God. In Genesis, Genesis 2, verse 7, we see that God breathes into Adam the breath of life, and, and we can infer that when Eve was shaped uh, from Adam's rib, that she too received that breath of life, for they are made male, they're created in the image of God, male and female. And they were given life by the very words and breath of God. So that when we read God's word, we're reading something that has been breathed out by God, which is literally alive. The writer, the unknown writer of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 12 says, The word of God is alive and it is active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. That is why Paul says to this young pastor, listen, if you want to be effective in your ministry, do not rely on your own power. There is no transformation in your own efforts. But the word of God, that is what is alive. That is what is sharper than any two-edged sword. That is the thing that can do the surgery. And that sword can work one way and cut out what should, what should not be there. And then also bring healing to what should be there. And we know that when man was created in the image of God, he was given intellectual, relational, emotional, physical, spiritual, slash moral capacities. And every one of those capacities are marvelous and powerful and wonderful, but they have been marred by sin. And the only way to bring healing to all of these capacities that in which a man and woman have been made is to go to the Word of God and let the Word of God go right down to the marrow, right down to where the problems are, and dig out the sin and replace it with holiness and righteousness. It's breathed out by God. And Paul says to this young man, listen, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. He has given us a spirit of power of a sound mind breathed out by God. And he says it is profitable. That word profitable there means benefits. It is beneficial. The word of God is living and active and it's beneficial. And we see four great benefits quickly here in this text. Teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. The benefit of the word of God. By the way, God did not call me to the ministry so that I could learn how to be a great teacher or preacher. God called me to the ministry that I might deliver the word of God. And so the teaching that Paul speaks to Timothy about is not the teacher, but the teaching. The subject is the scripture itself. And so this teaching is alive, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. What, what believers do not need to do is, say, is ask God for revelation. Why? Because we already have revelation, 66 books. 
We don't need to ask God to give us that. What we need to ask God for by way of the Holy Spirit is illumination. Teach me what it means and show me how to live it out. That is the content of God's lesson plan for the man of God who needs to do the work of God. Then it's also there for reproof. This word reproof, it, it literally means to convict of wrong behavior. You see, the man of God needs this. Every man, woman, boy and girl needs this. I was sharing with my Bible study class just a few weeks ago that I was in South Lake Town Center. I, I, was, I, was, going to, I was going there to find a yogurt shop because I wanted yogurt on this one particular afternoon, and I had forgotten that the yogurt shop had closed and moved somewhere else, but I drove up, pulled up into the spot where it used to be, and it was not there. And, and just as I realized that it was not there, I looked up, and not 10 feet in front of me, two girls came out of the Victoria's Secret shop there, and they were holding, they were holding their arms clothes, full of clothes in their hands, no bags. They are stealing. They are robbing. And before I could realize it, the, the, they had jumped in a white car right in front of me. And of course, I'm thinking, I'm going to be the hero here. I take out my smartphone to take a picture of the license plate because I think I'm gonna be the one to report this. But before I could, an unmarked police car had backed up and blocked that car in where it could not get out and two other cars pulled up. And there I am with my iPhone. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow, this is gonna be great to post it somewhere. But I was so frozen, I never hit play. But that car backed up, the getaway car had backed up and started to maneuver around the unmarked police car and that officer drew his Glock 19 Generation 4 and he said, don't even think about it. I think this is what reproof means. We're thinking about doing some sin, something that goes around the will of God and the Holy Spirit speaks to us as we read God's word and it's as if we can hear the Holy Spirit say, don't even think about it. Stop. You see, this is why some Christians sin more often than they would like to. Why? Because they are not into the word of God that has this big red stop sign in it, this big red, well, I don't think God would put out, pull out a gun, but a theological gun, and he would say, stop, don't do it. And he's not saying that to us because he wants to keep us from having fun or keeping us from having joy, but he wants us to do two basic things. One, glorify him, and secondly, he wants to keep us safe in glorifying him. And we can't do that. The word of God brings reproof to the man of God. So he stops. God says, stop. Don't even think about it. And then there's correction. Correction simply means repent. Now stop. Now turn around and come this way. Walk this other direction. 
John the Baptist cleared his throat and cried out, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus, when he began his ministry, started out with words of correction. When he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, the word of God is beneficial. It's beneficial for the knowledge of God to know what to do. And then the, the, the stopping of wrong behavior and correction of behavior so that we can return to a work of training in righteousness. You see, those who learn from God's teachings, who respond to God's warnings, who obey God's call to turn around, they are the ones who will be satisfied. Jesus said it in Matthew 5, verse 6, when he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The man of God is equipped by the word of God to do the work of God. And let's look at the man of God. There are two basic purposes here for the man of God. One is the word of God is there to complete the man of God. He's saying to Timothy, Paul is saying to Timothy, look, the word of God is what will make you ready. Husbands, the word of God will make you ready for your marriage. Ladies, the word of God will help you with your being ready for marriage, parents, the word of God, kids, the word of God, uh, business owners, the word of God, employees, the word of God, students, the word of God is what will make you ready for the work that you are in endeavoring to accomplish. That word complete means exactly that, to be perfected. And there are two kinds of perfection, aren't there, in the scripture that we read about. One is that instant perfection, that, that imputed righteousness that we receive from the atoning work of Jesus on the cross as we were singing just a while ago. It's the blood that brings the power that perfects us, that makes us ready and sealed up to go to heaven. But there is another kind of perfection. It's an ongoing perfection. It's a sanctification that goes on. And it's the word of God that brings this about. It's the word of God that will make Timothy ready. And while I would only say this quietly in corners of people who would understand, I would say to that man of God who wants to do the work of God of preaching, for example, with Timothy, I'd say, listen, go to college, see what they know, go to seminary, see what they know. But the foundation for your ministry is the living and active word of God. That is what will make you complete. And then also equipped. That equipment, no one goes on a climb or goes outside without dressing up and being ready, having the tools ready to do the work. And the Apostle Paul's telling Timothy, listen, I'm, I'm going away, but I'm going to pass the mantle to you. And that mantle I want to pass to you of ministry is a mantle of preaching the gospel, which is the good news. To do that, you must have tools the tools are found in the scripture that will make you ready. No man is ready to do God's work, God's way, who has not been powerfully transformed by the profitable, profitable, beneficial work of the word of God. And then finally, the work of God. For which you and I have been made. 
Go all the way back to Genesis again and you will see that, that God told Adam, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, have dominion over the fish of the sea. I'm sure all of our hunters love that, that we get to rule over the fish, we get to rule over the, the prey. The prey doesn't rule over us unless we're in Africa or something like that. But we're to be fruitful, multiply, bear the image of God. But more practically speaking, take the word of God to learn to be a God-honoring husband or a respectful wife or an obedient child or how to run your business with godly integrity or how to treat employees well or how to connect with God's people. If you want to know how it is that you do the work of God, you fall under submission to the word of God. And then I might add, the word of God would say, you don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. We do it in community with God. And we help one another. So I would say to someone who wants to grow in the Lord and do God's work and serve and do all the things that God's called you to do and fulfill your life's purpose, then join the church of God. Be a part. Say yes. And then go to work. Grow in the knowledge of the word and the disciplines of the faith. Learn to love God and serve people within, within the church of God so that you can learn, therefore, how to serve people outside of the walls of the church. Share God's story. Make disciples. Baptize disciples. Teach disciples. Teach God's word. Train God's people. Tell God's story. See where God is working and join him. These are things that, the, that God has meant for us to do. When we avoid the word of God, which can equip us, the people of God, the work of God cannot be done God's way or with God's power. You know, one of the, the great things that I, I've, I've always been a bit afraid of is that the church might pull off something that the church could do. But that would not give God glory. I asked God, and I hope you would join me with all of our pastors, to ask God to do a work through us that only He could do. So that He could get the glory. But there are no shortcuts to that. Why would God entrust us with a great work if we will not be trained and transformed by His great word? The Word of God. Here's my challenge to you. I challenge you to begin reading the Word of God every day. Let's, I, I trust and pray that the 24% of the average American Christian is reading uh, the Word is, is higher in our congregation. I hope that is true, but I would ask every person, every man, woman, boy and girl, read the Word of God every single day. You see, I, I carry sometimes with me, some of you probably see that I have all kinds of colored pens that I attach to my Bible. The reason I do that is because when I study God's Word, I want to mark up God's Word. I might take things like trials, suffering, blood, and I'll take my red pen and underline that. I might look at places where, oh, we're to grow, and we're to, we're to uh, uh, grow in our knowledge, and I'll underline that with green for growth. You, you can make up your own. I'm just saying that when you, when you read God's word, then also study God's word. That takes intentionality. 
all 66 books have marvelous transformative power. And I challenge you to do it. Take it home. Men, read the word with your family. If the man doesn't do it, ladies, read the word with your family. Kids, you don't have to wait for mom and dad. Read the word of God. The word of God equips the people of God to do the work of God. Let us pray. Lord, how we are grateful for your scripture. We are thankful for our pastors who stand faithfully each and every week and during the week and they preach God's word and they teach God's word and they counsel God's word. Thank you for this. But Lord, we also are grateful for the people of God who hear God's word, obey God's word, and they too are out to serve and to do the will of God God's way. Help us to be the kind of people who in community adore and treasure every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And Lord, help us to be transformed, therefore, to be a mighty force for the gospel in Keller, in our region, our state, and across the world. We need this. We need you, oh Jesus. We thank you in your name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.